the Whistleblower Newsroom. I'm Christina Borgeson. Last year, I brought Ohio attorney Tom Renzon to talk about a lawsuit he filed against the state of Ohio to try and force the lifting of Ohio Governor DeWine's emergency order imposing lockdowns and severely restricting interstate travel in response to COVID. Renz wasn't denying COVID existed. He still doesn't. But he was asking for proof that there was indeed a pandemic and that the extreme measures were warranted because if they weren't, they were tantamount to the government imposing mass imprisonment without due process. Thus began a battle that has intensified exponentially and moved far beyond Ohio. As the victims of not COVID, but the COVID emergency measures continue to pile up, Renz is still fighting to get the evidence that the COVID emergency measures were based on, just to see if the response was warranted. In fact, so far, the evidence Renz has uncovered shows COVID doesn't anywhere near measure up to past declared pandemics. In fact, even or to even flu outbreaks to which there were no emergency responses. It seems that the longer Renz's fight goes on, the more telling things get. How telling? What you're about to hear now is Renz's testimony before the Ohio legislature talking about his efforts to procure the evidence and talking about the victims and devastation that all these restrictions have caused so far. He also talks about some big names and money behind a shady nonprofit that is lobbying for immunity passports to permanently control the population's access to public places. Renz's testimony has already been censored by YouTube and Google. So I'm urging all of you who watch this show to go to Podbean and get the link and post it to all, you know, send it out everywhere, post it everywhere, send it to all your friends, because I don't know how long it'll be there. And I am going to post this show onto the Whistleblower Newsroom uh, YouTube channel. And if it is censored there, I will let you know. But for now, let's listen to Tom Renz's testimony. 2020, Governor DeWine and the Department of Health made a determination that they were gonna place all Ohioans under house arrest for two weeks to flatten the curve. They said at the time that they were gonna do this because hospitals were gonna be overrun with patients and people would be dying in the streets. It was gonna be a terrible thing. The people of Ohio trusted the governor and the Department of Health, and they agreed to accept this two-week crisis intervention. They agreed to the most drastic curtailment of rights ever taken in American history. Without due process, people were asked to lock down in their houses for two weeks. At the time, though, this seemed fishy to me. The reason it did is I was watching the numbers on this disease. At that time, the disease appeared to have about a 4% case fatality rate and a reproduction rate that was only at the time thought to be a little bit higher than the flu. Put this in perspective, the original SARS virus had a 9% fatality rate and roughly, roughly similar reproduction rate or spread rate. And the original MERS had over a 30% fatality rate and a similar spread rate. 
And for neither of those diseases did we ever consider or even, even discuss doing the same sort of thing. TB, which is not in my testimony, but I will tell you has roughly a 10% fatality rate, is still alive and well in this country. No one's locking down people. No one shut down our country. No one shut down our airports. We just live with it. We dodge it. We do what we can. We do what's necessary. But we live with it. The Ohioans were never told the background of these numbers, okay? The numbers that suggested this curve was coming. This was based on modeling, right? This modeling was created by a group of scientists. And if you look into the scientists, if you look into the background of these scientists, they've created models in the past. Those models have typically been wrong, way wrong in some cases. But yet we relied on them to curtail our rights in the most drastic way ever to happen in American history. Thankfully, and we can demonstrate this by the fact, I don't know if you all remember, but we created a bunch of facilities for the overrun that was going to occur because of this curve, this dreaded curve. I believe the IX Center in Cleveland was filled with hospital beds. Thankfully, the curve was, the models were wrong, and that facility went unused. As we move forward in time, especially up to this point, what we've learned with absolute no question is that we were wrong about some things. I was wrong as well, and I'll tell you what I was wrong about. I figured that the case fatality rate, the spread rate, were going to end up maybe a little higher than the flu, or at least a real bad year. Uh, the reality is, is that right now we're looking at about a half percent fatality rate, maybe less than a quarter percent. It's hard to get accurate numbers. I've got a few lawsuits that discuss why that is precisely, but uh, essentially you should know that the way that we count a death for COVID-19 is different than the way that we count a death for any other cause of death in the United States. It is the only disease where the cause of death is determined in the way that it is. Every other disease in the United States is the same way. So, the disease is far less dangerous than we thought. It doesn't really spread any faster than what we live with every year. But it is a real disease. And let me, let me make clear to everyone here, I'm not a COVID denier. I believe it's a disease. I've lost people close to me, uh, very close to me. And one in particular uh, I lost was one of the closest people in my life. But that individual, whether it was actually from COVID-19 because of his age and comorbidities, we'll never know. And it was the end of his life. So that's what we're seeing in a lot of COVID-19 deaths, right? That's, that's the truth. A lot of these deaths are occurring end of life, and because of the way we're categorizing COVID-19, because of the fact that we've given so much leeway and we're offering funding for people to find a COVID-19 death, it's being categorized that way. Get back on script. Another indisputable fact, the governor keeps talking about his science. 
I'm calling it political science because it's certainly not science according to any of the doctors or scientists that I'm working with. And these are people who are independent, by the way. Uh, one of the things that I have to do and for me to have any credibility in my work, I have to make sure that these doctors and these scientists that I'm working with that I will eventually call in court to testify under oath are credible, they're not biased, and they don't have financial interests. The real science behind this isn't being followed, and let me give you a few examples. Our schools are closed still, for the most part. We're moving towards opening now. But we've known for months this isn't dangerous to kids. Kids aren't vectors of transmission. The CDC's even said this. The CDC is not exactly COVID-averse. I mean, these guys are doing everything they can to keep this emergency alive and well. So for them to come out and say that kids aren't vectors of transmission is really something. Why didn't we open the doors immediately? Science doesn't matter here. It's politics. No child under 19 has died in Ohio from COVID-19 as of the last time I looked. Now, granted, that wasn't yesterday, but I'm fairly sure that it would have been on every single newspaper in the state if it had happened, especially if it was credible. Back to the science. If we're following the science, I have a question. Does COVID have a watch? Is it a nocturnal hunter? Why is it more dangerous at 11 o'clock than 10 o'clock? Why did we decide that a curfew was somehow going to be sensible? What did that do other than hurt bars and restaurants? Scientifically, can anyone explain to me why we thought that a curfew would do anything at all other than damage bars and restaurants? I don't know. The war on small businesses, I point to as another another uh, very clear demonstration of the lack of, of real science here. Can you tell me why Walmart's open, but a church is not? Why a Walmart is open, but your local small business is not? These, in many cases, sell the same sorts of things. Uh, there's a lot more people in a Walmart than there is in your local small business. Most of the local and independently owned businesses that I go to, and I try to go as often as I can to keep them in business, because they need that right now, there's one or two people in there at a time, it's shocking. Where's the science here? The governor keeps telling us about the science. The science seems to be political science. And in my opinion, this political science is Probably uh, it seems to be top secret because when we ask for modeling and we ask for data, raw data, not data that's been whitewashed by the Department of Health or other statisticians, but when I ask for raw data, I get a resounding silence. Maybe there's no time. We believe that the data he's got is political science. We're curious whether that political science that he seems to be getting from uh, some of these these big corporations and uh, political influences, it certainly seems that it would be interesting and we're curious as to whether any of uh, the stock ownership interests or donations that have been given to the governor or his family have, uh, have had anything to do with this political science that he's using. We're not making any accusations at this point, but we do find it curious because we've looked at the financial disclosure forms 
There's some interesting things there. Uh, the big businesses, they're doing well, right? And they're the ones that have the money to donate. We're also curious why no investigation's been done on this under ORC 29, 21, 42, and 43. We'll leave that at that. Third fact. This, it appears very strongly that the governor's political science is interests far more about his political future than he is about the concern, uh, about the concerns for the American, or I'm sorry, the Ohio people. I've got a few things for you here. The leading cause of death for children between 10 and 14 in Ohio is suicide. Okay, one more time. The leading cause of death for children 10 to 14 in Ohio is suicide. I have a 10-year-old child. This is dear to my heart. I've watched what this has done, what the school closures, what the fear that they've pushed on these kids has done to them. I've heard about a uh, person who asked me to represent them, and I, I couldn't, I didn't have the time. About a 10-year-old child who is so fr afraid of COVID transmitting through saliva that he refused to swallow or eat because he was scared of his own saliva and ended up hospitalized. What are we doing to these kids? What are we doing? We're certainly not keeping them safe because COVID isn't killing them. We are. We the adults who have failed our children are allowing them to die. Our seniors, I'm watching seniors die alone. Do you know how many times a week I get phone calls because I'm one of the few lawyers that will work on this from someone, my mom's dying. My dad was married to her for 50 years. He just wants to say goodbye. What can we do? I'm sorry, nothing in the time that you have left. I'm very frustrated because when I have to say that to someone, it is just, just absolutely crushing to my soul. Because it should, and I would argue is illegal, but I can't do anything quickly enough through the proper channels to fix it. I get calls from people with PTSD, some with mental issues, some, with, some of them are vets from war zones, some are abused women. One, will, one I will never forget, I couldn't take her case either because I'm booked 24-7. She begged me to get into her psychiatrist because she was suicidal. Her psychiatrist, a medical doctor, someone who was trained, who knew that she had been choked and abused in the past and knew that she couldn't wear a mask because of that. She begged me to get him in because she was considering killing herself and he refused to see her because she couldn't wear a mask and she would rather die than wear that mask because of what happened to her. These people are discriminated against. I have another client as a very serious medical condition, not capable of wearing a mask, literally puts her at physical danger, discriminated against on a constant basis in every store that she goes to. Separate but equal. I thought we got rid of that a few years back. And what are we basing it on? What are we basing this on, right? 
a disease that in most of our population has a well over 99.9% .9 recovery rate. Let me tell you where some of this is coming from that you may or may not know and it may or may not be interesting for you. There's a group called Resolve to Save Lives. They're helping in Ohio. We can't get a clear answer on to what extent, but we believe it's substantial. They're led by a former Obama White House CDC advisor. They're funded by, and this is what's important, a number of billionaire charities, Bloomberg, Philanthropies, Gates Foundation, Zuckerberg Initiative. Now, each one of these philanthropies, these, these good and honest charities, have ties to ownership in or some relationship to the, the world of medical business. I'm not, not making any accusations here, but it certainly seems there may be a conflict. And when they create these shell companies or organizations like Resolve to Save Lives that are put out there to try and look like they're doing something good, they give them a good name, Resolve to Save Lives. Who wouldn't want to save lives, right? Well, the 10 to 14-year-olds that are killing themselves lives are not being saved. Testing for this disease. Uh, it's garbage. I don't, I don't know how else to say it. It is absolute garbage. The PCR testing, okay? So we all know about the PCR test. We had the drive-through PCR tests. These are the most egregiously absurd things I've, I've seen. Mind you, I learned this from my doctors and my scientists. The PCR test is a brilliant test created by a Nobel laureate who said that it shouldn't be used for diagnostic purposes. Now, that's been fact-checked. Let me tell you what that, what, what, a little bit more about that, right? PCR test is a chemical test. It tests for vi viral RNA fragments. Okay, so it doesn't necessarily test for a whole complete piece of a, a virus, a part of viral particle. It looks for pieces of it. That can be indicative of a disease, or it may not. What it doesn't do is by itself provide any evidence of an infection at all. I can back this up. Now, we're using in Ohio, I know at least we were, and again, because the governor is not forthright about any information, I don't know to what extent. I've heard as much as 40% of our kits are coming from Mako Labs. And their kit is uh, listed in my testimony. Uh, it is the Applied Biosystems TAC Path Kit. And it says in their instruction manual for that kit, It detects pieces of RNA. It doesn't detect an infection or a disease. And pieces of RNA, because I had to learn this from my doctor advisors, I'll share this with you, RNA means that there's a piece of a disease that was found in your body. There's always viruses in your body. Your immune system fights it off. Only when you get to a certain threshold, a certain viral load, enough of a virus in your body, do you actually get sick, right? This doesn't test for an actual amount of virus or viral load, just the presence. Let me read you this direct quote from the manual, the instruction manual for this test. 
and I'm going to save you part of this. The entire, the entire quote is in my, my testimony, but clinical correlation with patient history and other diagnostic information is necessary to determine patient infection. That means, according to the instruction kit for the test kit, a drive-through test is meaningless. Clinical. Clinical correlation. That means that you got to have a doctor take a look and decide whether or not there's anything there for any real meaningful result from this test kit. Now, I won't say that PCR test is useless. That could be fact-checked, and that would be, I would say, inaccurate. But a PCR test by itself is absolutely useless. Wow, 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 wow. Just, that's just amazing. Just, just devastating. I, okay, so tell me what the disposition of all your cases are, what the updates are, uh, you know, on, on your efforts to bring light to this subject. HB 90. So, well, you know, we're doing pretty well. Um, the courts are a little bit hostile to hearing some of this stuff, shockingly. And it's an interesting thing. I, you know, it's, it's real easy to put people to sleep when you get into the weeds, but you run up against two issues. When you plead a case, there's, you plead it with a uh, you know, pretty simple statement of fact. Here's what's wrong. Um, but the, the Supreme Court has recently ruled that you've got to also, uh, the judge can throw it out if they don't find it plausible. And so what we're running into is, you know, to get around that plausibility standard, we got we got to put a lot of stuff in our cases. And, uh, well, then the courts are saying, but it's not simple enough. So we're running into some issues there, but that's okay because every time we get a, a, any sort of a notice or opinion from a judge, that gives us precedent. And so we go back and we make the changes that they need to make, and we're doing that now in a couple of cases. But, you know, it's, it's good. The core of the case is doing very well. Uh, we're getting ready to file in two more states. Um, we're, we're learning going as we go. And, you know, we talked to the judge about it. We said, Your Honor. How do you want us to do this? Because, you know, we've seen a little bit of this lately, right? Where the courts just say, we don't want to hear it, and they throw it out. So what do you do with this? And we, we actually ask, we say, Your Honor, do you want this to be a very traditional complaint? Or would you like us to, you know, really deal with this plausibility question in the complaint? And we specifically have asked and said, Your Honor, and we mean it with respect. We really are trying to learn what the courts want to do because all this is new. We say, Your Honor, you know, if, if we do that, the, the other side just going to say, well, you guys are conspiracy theorists. And, you know, then you're going to throw us out of court. I said, so do you want us to do that? I mean, are you going to give us a shot? And it, it seems as though they want us to keep it simple. And, the, you know, based on what the orders that we've been given, I believe that they will give us a fair shot afterwards. And so we're going to try and do that. Ultimately, this is a learning curve for everybody because no one's tried to steal the constitution before. So uh, we're doing that. The cases are going well. Like I said, we're going to be filing some more coming up. Very excited about those. We're also pushing for legislation. We're pushing for, we're doing a lot of work on the PR side, trying to educate people about this and elected officials. 
And you know, the thing about it is, is we don't really care about everybody patting us on the back. We just want to be free. So whether it's through legislation, whether it's through successes, yeah, we love seeing what happened in Texas. We love seeing what happened in Mississippi. We got a couple other states. What happened? What happened in Texas and Mississippi? Well, they uh, they they lifted the lockdowns. They said we've had enough, and we saw. God bless the governor of Alabama. Said the football stadiums would be a full. Uh, thank him. If you're in Alabama, send him a thank you note for having the courage to fight these people because they got a lot of money and power. Um, this whole thing was based on false pretenses. And we do have the data on that. And the thing is, is we're just going to keep going through the courts until we get the opportunity to do that. I mean, you know, we're going to follow the process. We respect the process. We respect the courts. You know, as attorneys, our, our job is to, to uh, be officers of the court. And so we're going to work with them. Are you not concerned about the judges and the judicial system um, falling prey to political pressures that will make them find some reason, you know, specious reason to kick your case out of court or to deny your case? So let me answer that as, as well as I can, right? Um, I have, I actually feel bad for anybody that's got to be a judge on this case. The amount of political pressure is mind blowing. As a judge, you're, you've got to be above that. And I know the judges will be courageous enough to do it. And I think, you know, once we get the formula right and, you know, to their liking, I'm sure they will do what's necessary and right. That may be a naive statement to, for some people to hear. Um, but I've got to keep some faith in my judicial system. Otherwise, what am I doing, right? I'm insuring. So, so, okay, go ahead. So, so ultimately, I'm, I'm hoping that you know as we learn what these judges are looking for you know to an extent nobody's filed these actions these are new things so to an extent you know one thing i will say in defense of the judges who are a wee bit blunt with us at times uh is they've got to figure out the right way to deal with this and it's historic i mean it's a huge thing in the world of the judicial system it's huge and so I do think that the judges are in a tough position on this. I mean, we're asking them to decide and, and the, just the science of this has been, it's so complex, you know? Uh, unfortunately, the science has been done wrong and incorrectly and it's been used to mislead people and we can prove that. But we've got to, we've got to, we have an obligation as attorneys to find a way to get this in front of the judge in a way that they can understand it and are able to rule on it properly. Well, I'll tell you what, your testimony was clear water. Anybody who doesn't get that, I mean, you can be in the sixth grade and understand what you just said, clearly. So I don't think the complicated issue is the issue. Number one, given the way you presented the information, I'm also, I'm sort of interested because you mentioned your governor, uh, your governor's uh, financial statements that have interesting things in it. I mean, obviously somebody talked to him and obviously there's a system it's, well, let me not say obviously, but there seems to be a system of it's you either get a reward or you get a punishment depending on how you respond to what we want you to do. So 
I, you're implying that the governor accepted some kind of reward. Could you tell, or I'm, maybe I'm wrong in saying that, I don't know, but what is it that you found interesting in, in the financial disclosure forms? Well, I wasn't implying anything. I said what I said, uh, and I can't, I can't imply because I can't get myself in trouble by doing that, right? Okay. What I can do is I can tell you that we looked at his financial disclosures, and you know, there are certain laws that we think are important in Ohio, and those laws, we think that there's a very interesting tie-in between those laws and his uh, financial disclosures. What laws? Um, well, the laws that I mentioned in the testimony, and that's an important thing because even if you're a governor, those laws are important. Um, even if you're, even if there's an emergency, those laws are important. And uh, we just, I think one of the things that I find most disturbing about this, and I'm really trying to dance around this. I can tell, I, and I, yeah. I don't under, I'm confused. I don't understand. Yeah, what you're Christina, and I'm sorry say. about it. Uh, you know, listen, I've got a duty not to say anything that I can't. I, I get it. I get okay, it. Okay, so but I'm trying to be real careful with it. Um, what I can tell you is that it's curious to me that the state AG hasn't looked into anything. It seems to me that there should be some things that are being looked into here in terms of are there conflicts? I don't know, but I'd love to know. I'd love to dig into it. All right. So let, let me just... Are, let's just say you looked at the financial disclosure forms and you saw some... Um, some contributions from certain organizations or individuals or whatever that uh, could represent a conflict of interest in terms of his decision making about what to do about the COVID pandemic. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, they may or may okay. not. Okay. I think they, they weren't further, further digging if I was the Attorney General for the state of Ohio. Okay. And the other thing that you mentioned was that, um, what, what was the name of that, uh, uh, Resolve to Save Lives? Yeah. Could you talk about them? And you actually mentioned who funded them. So could you yeah. talk about them a little bit and what they're up to? Yeah, so that I can talk to you about. And this is something that's really interesting, okay? So you look at the organizations that are funding the response to COVID-19, right? And, and the people that are coordinating this response are all funded by someone. The people that are funding it, every time I look, end up being kind of the same group of people with more money than God. A number of our billionaires, a number of people who have more money than, than anyone ever needs. So, you know, what we're seeing when we follow this and we connect these dots is these same people also have a large interest or ties with the pharmaceutical or healthcare or, you know, there's there's just... And what it looks like is happening, and we're looking into this further, but it looks like they're using their ownership of say big tech to, to censor anybody that wants to speak out against uh, an, a, a business interest that they would have in say you know, pharmaceuticals. Uh, there seems to be some real ties there. Now we're working on developing that and getting all the details, but, you know, you look at Resolve to Save Lives, you know, what, what are they doing? You know, they, can, they seem to be, and we're, again, trying to confirm this, but they seem to be the group that's responsible for these ridiculous COVID dashboards all over the country where you can't possibly get out of the red ever. 
and where they, they look at things like cases and you know, just unproven garbage uh, everywhere. So, you know, they're funded by people with an interest. And this is what's happening. We're pushing money through the system in various ways and using massive amounts of money to create influence. And we're using our ownership of one industry to, you know, a lot of these guys also own news media, a massive ownership stakes in news media. You know, well, do you think that if uh, your guy who owns you, and if you're a media guy and you get some, your owner also owns, uh, you know, some pharmaceutical company, are you going to speak out and report negatively on, on what that company is doing? Are you going to speak out and report negatively about the numbers? Yeah, I mean, it's just absolutely sick the way that this money is being used to manipulate this. I mean, I was trying to find that quote from, um, from you know, you had put a quote from them about them uh, saying that uh, talking about the need for immunity passports uh, for people to gain access to public spaces. And it was absolutely chilling, you yeah. know, absolutely chilling. And, and I'm just wondering, so are you gonna end up subpoenaing Bill Gates and, and Zuckerberg and Bloomberg? I mean, are you gonna end up going after these guys? Well, we're gonna go after whoever we have to until we're free. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm not, my kids aren't gonna grow up in this universe. This is nonsense. You know, I mean, we look at, they're trying to do the immunity passport in New York. I just heard today that they're pushing some of that out. Let me yep. tell you about the immunity passport. You can't discriminate against someone on this, okay? So here's a little warning shot over the bow for the bad guys. Jacobson doesn't support this. If you have a religious exemption, which you can have for a vaccine or a medical exemption, which you can have for a vaccine, especially one that's untested, one that was is only authorized under emergency use authorization. And all sorts of, there are all sorts of questionable aspects of this. If you have that, you can't force someone to take this. You've got to honor those exemptions. I'm sorry, the law is pretty clear on this. We're happy to defend it if we have to. And if they start pushing this passport stuff on a wide scale, trust me, we'll be in court on it. And it's already been overruled. We have the case law that shows that Jacobson's been overruled on issues like this. I'm happy to share it, but uh, you know, it has. So does this have to go on a state-by-state -state basis though, or is it a federal? Uh, well, this is a federal case and I think the ruling would affect everybody. Okay. Um, you know, I mean, some of this stuff, when we challenge an emergency order in a given state, that's a state-by-state. -state. When we challenge, something like that, you know, we may challenge it on the national level. And, you know, it depends on where it's implemented. I mean, if a state implements it, we would have to challenge it in the state, but if there's any sort of a national immunity passport, we'll be in court as soon as I can get it written. You know, let me ask you something. Are you, are you seeing like an organized, do you think that this has all been an organized effort? Oh. Um, nationwide. I mean, the reason why all of a sudden I'm thinking, is there a RICO case in the future for this thing? There may well be. Um, we've looked at, listen, I talked to my team and we now have a team. We've got some really great lawyers all over the country and they're backing, backing up and, you know, we've went through some of the different cases that are available for us and we have more actions available. This is no longer just me, thankfully. 
because it's too big for one guy. I'm just some regular dude. So that's yeah, it's, you're not so regular, Tom. I mean, <laughs> you're you're trying to slay a huge dragon here. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? So, so don't think about policeman. it. Don't think about it. So does every policeman that goes on a call, you know, for a shooting or this and that. And so does every, you know, one of our military guys that are out there putting their life on the line. I, we're just doing our part to be free, right? So God, family, country. That's how I look at it. So anyway, um, you know, the thing about this is, is yeah, yeah. And where we go really depends on what they're doing. I mean, I'm going to be free again. I'm Let me ask you something. We are. Just as you have noticed um, that there seems to be some sort of a, a well-oiled, uh, well-funded um, effort in Ohio to continue this, this whole COVID thing and, that, and then move into the forced vaccinations and move into the vaccine passports and blah, blah, blah. And, and you see uh, that the, you see this big money tree funding it and, and it's connected to certain names. Are other states seeing the same money tree people and the same, are, are they connecting the dots to the same people at the top? Yeah, so we're working in a lot of states. So, and this is a great thing because, like I said, I'm no longer, it's a hydra, right? So you can, even if people don't like me, even if I'm gone, I still got a lot of, a lot of people who are going to keep this fight for freedom going. And we've, we've worked with them. They know how to do it. They know what I've, you know, we've shared the information. I've made it as public as I can. So thankfully that's there. And what I can tell you is, as I'm doing that, in all of these different states, it's all the same. Now, what the wow. difference is, th it's the same people, right? I mean, it's wow. the same group of billionaires who are funding the response to this in the same place, all over the place. And, you know, I believe that there's a lot of legal violations occurring. And the question is going to be how expensive we need to make it for them before they back off. And, you know, we're moving into phase two of this with the attorney team and the group, you know, we're working on that now. We're just getting ready to move into phase two. And yeah, everything we've done now, this has been a war opening salvo. It's not even, it's not even a drop in the bucket. Um, you know, we're going to keep going until I can't do it anymore or until we lose. And if I can't do it anymore, I got a whole slew of other people who will. I'll tell you what, I'm, it's not about how expensive you can make it for them. It's, it's really about how many years in a jail, in a real jail, these people will see because the money is endless, yeah. but their lives are not. And people, if, if this is a huge conspiracy to you know, control the entire globe basically, if this is a huge conspiracy to drive um, most of the population into penury so they, they could be better controlled, then they're, you know, this is, this is a crime against humanity on a massive scale, okay? Yeah. And, and what's interesting is you and all these lawyers around the country are are gonna bring your pieces together to create this picture that is, it looks like it's gonna be pretty mind boggling, you know? Yeah. 
and and things are going on in Europe. By the way, I did an interview with Fuelmisch, uh, the German Corona Committee. He's part of the German Corona Committee. Yeah. Uh, that interview was censored on my YouTube channel, on the Whistleblower Newsroom YouTube channel. That was taken off. They took it off. I fully expect that the same thing is going to happen to this one. I don't know. I'm going to post it, and we'll see. Well, but let me know. Because I, I, I'm, I'm really interested in the potential for FTC violations that are occurring here, and also for the defamation uh, that may be occurring. I mean, there's a number of things that they're doing. If they really want to do this, you know, I didn't. I wanted to be free. I'm just some little guy from a little town. I wanted. To, I want my kids free. Now I'm, you know, I'm fighting this, and now it looks like I'm going to have to get into some of the censorship stuff because. You know, you can't tell people the truth without being censored, and they're using their position of power to to just create really unfair trade practices. And you know, if this is what we got to do, if we got to fight everybody, we'll fight everybody. You know, the new normal's not happening. Okay, we'll fight until the new normal's gone. The new normal will be back to the real normal. And you know, you're going to have to find another way to try and control the world. I don't know why it is. If you're a billionaire, you'd feel like you don't have enough. I, I don't understand. There's got to be something wrong it's, with it. I think it's called the hungry ghost syndrome. <laughs> yeah. you know, they have a lot of stuff, but spiritually, there's something missing, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's, well, that's neither here nor there in terms of what we're discussing, but it is, you can never have enough. It's, I call it the hungry ghost syndrome. I don't know. So talk about your lawsuit against the CDC. Um, I'm, I'm very interested in, in the disposition of that. What's going on with that? Uh, we're going to be amending that complaint to make it so that it uh, better complies with the, what the judge wants to see. And uh, we'll see what happens from there. I mean, ultimately, you know, this is, like I said, it's an extremely complicated complaint from a legal perspective. You're right. When I tell the story, I tell the story. But from a legal perspective, there's a lot there. And you know, what are you basically saying? What, what are you charging? What is your complaint against? Real the straightforward. The law says that if you present data, it's got to be presented with integrity and utility. And the CDC is not doing either of those things. They're intentionally misleading. And we've got actually some, some new evidence on this that we're just now confirming. And I won't say it until it's confirmed. Um, but we actually have data from the CDC that shows that they have mischaracterized a ton of deaths, a ton of deaths. Um, now, if we can confirm this properly, which we believe we are going to be able to, I think this will be incredibly big news. Um, but you know, we know March 24th they issued an order that says we're going to we're going to count uh, COVID deaths different than we count any other death on the planet. Every death counted the same way, except for COVID. And they said in that order, by doing this, we expect that this is going to result in more COVID deaths being called COVID deaths than otherwise would be. I mean, it's as clear as day. You can't fact check it because it's, I got the document from the CDC. So, you know, this is just what happened. That's not integrity or utility in the data. If I want to know how many people died of COVID-19, I want it counted the same way as cancer so that I can compare them. How big, you know, uh, I want the same way as TB. I want the same way as every other virus. Because if I don't, 
how can I know whether COVID is actually more dangerous or less dangerous than the next virus? And the answer is I can't. So there is no integrity or utility in doing that. Well, I, I do know something that's very interesting is in, in the past, a pandemic used to be characterized as a global illness that had a certain death rate. Yeah. Now what they've done is they're calling a pandemic a global illness, which I mean, the flu is a global illness every year, yeah. you know? So, and to me, just doing that is incredibly unconscionable because you've, you've set the stage for the rest of the ruse, you know? And now when you start counting the, I mean, I'll tell you, I just found what you said about the suicide rate among kids 10 to 14 in Ohio. Is that because of COVID? COVID emergency response? Is oh, that measures? Yeah, it skyrocketed. The suicide rate skyrocketed since the lockdown, since the kids can't go to school, they can't see other kids. We're seeing increases in domestic violence, increases in overdoses, increases in everything. Since the lockdowns have happened, I mean, I would love, and I've had scientists actually make the case to me that we may have had, if we, if we counted COVID in the traditional way, I've had scientists make the case that we may have had almost as many deaths from the responses from the disease. I mean, whether oh, they be suicides oh. or overdoses or not, you know, it's, it's speculation, but these are, you know, from data people who, who yeah, they got to guess a bit, but I mean, it shouldn't even be something that I can say with a straight face. I mean, how, you know, look at New York. How many seniors died in nursing homes or around nursing homes or related to nursing homes because of Cuomo's response? And that's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, we know, that especially the kids, I think the kids is really the big thing. You know, it's one thing if you want to screw up your life. It's another thing if we want to screw up the lives of our kids. Why would we do that? You know, the, and that's exactly what we're doing. I, you know, for years we've heard people, oh, we gotta have the school lunch program or these kids won't eat. We've gotta make sure the school lunch program's nutritious or they won't eat well. Uh, we gotta have the school breakfast. Okay, well, I support all those things, that's fine. I wanna make sure every kid's fed. I don't want kids hungry. There's no school now. How are you feeding them now? Yeah. Hey, how about mandatory reporting for, for abuse? I mean, the schools, the teachers are mandatory reporters. They have to say, speak up if they think a kid's being abused. Who's speaking up for these kids now? If they're at home getting beat or tortured, oh my God, it's horrible. And the stories I'm hearing. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, like, it's like what they've done is destroyed the village that, that protects everybody, protects those children. You yeah. know, because, oh my God, it's, this is, and, and I feel like the repercussions on the kids um, who are still alive, who are, you know, trying to get an education, I think those repercussions uh, that they are, they're going to feel repercussions on the damage to their education and their social well-being, their social development. That's going to, that's going to, that's coming up later on in the, in the years, you know, that's like PTSD excuse me, PTSD after a war. And by the way, I, I just wanted to mention something that I just learned that a lot of um, troops, you know, cause they're trying to, here's the, the big moneymaker in the, in 
with is is always with the U.S. military and vaccinating the troops. And there are a lot of them who are refusing to take the, the vaccine. Why? Because just like the anthrax vaccine that was hastily put together and created all kinds of health problems for virtually all of them who took it. I mean, and we're talking hundreds of thousands, 400,000, 400,000. Um, you know, they're afraid of this because they don't trust their government anymore. They don't trust these vaccine makers and the vaccine makers, you know, can, cannot be held liable for, oh. for, uh, for poisoning people. Well, so, and, and I'm gonna tell you, I'm not anti-vax. My family's vaccinated, but I'm gonna tell you, there is no way on this earth that I'm gonna get that COVID vaccine. Uh, yeah. I've talked to way too many doctors and, you know, here's the question I have, right? So, you know, nobody likes us bottom feeding lawyer types, right? I get that. I mean, you know, we're chasing ambulances. I get that. But here's the deal. Why do you need immunity if, there's, if you're not doing anything wrong? So, you know, they say we can't sue a vaccine manufacturer. Why do they need that? If their vaccine is safe and effective, why do you need that? Why wouldn't you, well, go ahead, sue me, it's safe and effective, we proved it, look it, here's our EUA. You know, and by the way, I read the EUAs, they're terrible, they're terrible. I mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous. What's an EUA, you have to tell the audience. Oh, I'm sorry, so the EUA, so the vaccines that are available are not being approved in the normal way. It normally takes 10 years or so to get a vaccine approved because there's extensive testing. And that's why I don't normally care about vaccines because, you know, typically it's, it's, it's pretty well tested, right? These were approved on an emergency use authorization basis. So these were rushed through. The testing that was done was minimal at best. I mean, that's, I think that's being generous. I read the tests. I read the studies. I looked at this stuff myself and I had my doctors review it. Um, and I had many more doctors that weren't even my doctors that have gotten in touch with me about this. There are so many potential issues with this. And the thing that, that's really a concern for me about the vaccine based on what the doctors are telling me is not so much that, you know, just most people are getting this and once they get it, they're sick for a day or you have terrible headaches and these, you know, these reactions. Um, I think more terrifying than that though, is the long-term effects of this. Uh, from what my doctors are saying, there's a lot of indications uh, that these could eventually result in longer-term health issues that could be very substantial. And, you know, particularly in the next year or two, and, you know, people should just, I believe in informed consent. So, you know, tell people you're part of an experiment. You want to get this vaccine? Go ahead. You got a 99.9 .9 plus percent recovery rate for this disease. And we don't know what the vaccine is going to do because we haven't tried it. You want to be an experiment? You want to be a guinea pig? By all means, get the shot, go to town. But I just find it a little bit. Well, I mean, this <laughs> is the thing is, is this, this perpetual fight against this propaganda machine, you know? Um, my brother, who's a, he's a physician, a, a geriatric physician in France, uh, who is in charge of uh, the nursing home during the COVID thing, um, he had a protocol that was given 
to him by this group in Marseille, this guy, Didier Raoul, uh, and his group, and it was a protocol of uh, when somebody had got COVID, uh, I think it was zinc, vitamin C, an antibiotic, azithromycin, and uh, hydrochloroquine, if you weren't, uh, and it worked beautifully. I think throughout the entire thing, he lost two people. One was in an 80 something and had, co they both had comorbidity. And, and there was a, and, and he said, because we're talking to him too, you know, our family. And he said, he goes, there's no way I'm taking the vaccine. He says, I administer the vaccine to uh, people who ask me for it, but I administer it because I am, uh, I, I am not, I will not be held liable for what happens to them, just like here in the United States. And I, again, I feel like, like laws like that, are hostile to the population, and I don't understand why they, why they're still stand, why they still stand. I mean, somebody has to go after that law, because yeah. it, it's a law that basically is is a permission to poison people. Well, I think that you know it's a real simple if you want to understand that. Look at the money, the lobbying money spent by the pharmaceutical industry. But you said something that was super important there, right? I mean, so when we talk about when we talk about what's going on here um, with the vaccine and, and the indemnity that these guys are given, we're talking about a situation where so you know if you go to the if you go to the store and I want people to really understand what this means, right? If I go to the store and I buy myself a lawnmower and I go home and mow my lawn and the blade shoots off and stabs me in the leg, I sue the lawnmower guy because it costs me money to get my leg fixed. I'm hurt, there's problems. And you know, and that's what lawsuits are, right? So us bottom feeding lawyers, we, we try to, some of us try to make you whole, right? That's how we do that. We say, well, you know, you guys screwed up, let's make it evil or even. Um, if you go and you take a vaccine and you within an hour die, which we've seen happen a number of times with this vaccine, although the, the, somehow they keep saying that this is a coincidence, um, I'm not sure how they can possibly make that, that statement, but they are. Well, you can't do anything about it. You know, it, you know what's you know what's even what adds a dimension to that is that you're talking about physicians who you know it's the hippocratic oath do no harm they're there to heal people and now they have this license to basically kill and well, and that is a that is a profound thing well and it's even worse right so it's worse than that. So here's, a, here's another really critical thing, early treatment, right? So I'm working with a few physicians, they're brilliant. I mean, these are traditional doctors, okay? So there's no, these guys are quacks, they're this, these guys are published doctors, brilliant people. And they've been advocating for early treatment, like you mentioned in France, right? Early treatment works. Yes, it we have does. Doctors, we have doctors who have, we have studies on this, 
We have doctors who have written papers on this, who have studied it. Early treatment works. So here's the thing. Why is it that these doctors who are out promoting early treatment are being ostracized? Yep. Why are they being, why are people, why are they being punished professionally, right? I mean, so there's a number of doctors that just don't know better. Uh, you know, they take their, they take the brief given to them by the hospital system and they do what they said, they're told. So they just don't look into it. But, you know, when you know, because we have peer reviewed studies and other information that there are methods that are effective if employed, you know, on a wide scale early treatment and you close your eyes to it. Well, that's, that's an issue. That's a failure to treat. That's a, that's a lawsuit is what it is. And it should be. Well, you know, we've, we've run out of time here, but I just want to tell you, um, I wish you all the luck in the world. Keep me posted. I want you to come back from time to time. Let us know how it's going and, uh, you know, be well and stay safe, Tom. Thank you so much, Christina. Thank you. Again.